The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. chapter 4, starting at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of houses, lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? But, sorry, why is it? that you have contrived this deed in your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear upon all came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Fear has a unique capacity to control us. We've seen even an involuntary capacity to control us. 
So what we fear most matters. And I trust we saw this in a more amusing way during our kids' talk. But what we fear has that controlling influence over us. And so I ask, as I ask of the kids, I ask you now, what do you fear most? I encourage you to have open before you uh, perhaps the um, booklet that we're working through in our small groups or any other form that you could write on, even your phone if that helps you. And notes can be a great way to assist us to engage with what God is telling us today. And so we have each week a big idea, and this week's big idea is unity, freedom, and courage is found in the fear of God. Unity, freedom, and courage is found in the fear of God. Now our passage, it starts by affirming the common unity of God's people. And there's two experiences that identify this united community. The first is the voluntary sharing of all belongings in common. Look at verse 32 from chapter 4 with me. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now let's be clear, private ownership is a value this community does recognize, but no believer is pressing this right. And so there are selfless acts that are completely voluntary through that are motivated by the Holy Spirit and equipping that community to pursue the mission that God has given them. That's the first unifying experience of this community. The second is what motivates the first. This community that's led by the apostles exists to be a testimony, that's a witness who tells the story of the resurrection of Jesus. We see in verse 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So the generosity of this community, and it's a costly, sacrificial generosity, it removes barriers of need that would otherwise act as a handbrake on the rapid spread of this life-transforming news. So the, the community, it sees a role that they can play in removing any economic barriers to the proclamation that Jesus is alive, Jesus is God's promised Savior and King. Look at verse 34. It says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Do you see how the generosity of the community, it empowers witness? And church, let me please commend to you particularly your financial generosity to the church's kids and youth ministry in our community. I want to show you what this enables us to do. So the money that's given through the church enables us to remove any known financial barriers to people coming along. The generosity means that we never had to turn a family away because of money. It also means that we can make sure that young people are supported financially to head on Christian camps and other opportunities that can support them 
explore and discover more about Jesus. It also means that we have resources to build up our local community while also being a witness for Jesus. Kids Hope is empowered through your financial support. These are just a few of the examples in which generosity empowers the church's witness. And the end of Acts 4 shows that this is a generosity, this experience of generosity united with mission is also what we'd seen earlier in Act 2, and it continues despite of the Jewish council opposition to God's community. Pastor Mark looked at that last week. So the church is energized, it's faithful, and it's united in taking the next steps to be Jesus' witness. And I wonder, if you were asked to tell the story of North Pine Baptist Church, could you truly describe us as a community where each person is energized, faithful, and united in taking the next steps together to be Jesus' witness. My encouragement to you is take this story up as your prayer for us. You know, our hands, our feet, our actions, they quickly follow the prayer of our heart. It's why we make sure there is accessible opportunities to pray together so we can have that united heart. And so in Acts chapter 4, um, verses 24 to 31, that bit before, it talks, before it talks of the church's unity, it records their prayer for boldness and for God to act. And God responds to this prayer. In verse 31, it says, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. My prayer for us is that we truly will be energized, faithful, and a united community taking the next steps together to be Jesus' witness, even when it costs us. And those costs might be more than just financial. Let us be a people who give to the mission of Jesus voluntarily, selflessly, and sacrificially. In our passage, we're going to meet two examples that take different approaches to this. Our first example lives out and encourages this kind of faith community. Our second example risks corrupting this community. Let's meet the first, the one worthy of imitation. It's always good to start with the encouragement. Uh, let's have a look at verse 36 together. Thus Joseph, who is also called the Apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, what a reputation, I'd take that name, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we meet Barnabas, also called Joseph. The first example, it shows in his actions that he fears God most. And Barnabas, because of this, is free to give generously to meet the needs of God's people. Barnabas, he imitates Jesus by giving voluntarily, selflessly, and sacrificially, didn't let describe our Lord. And he becomes less that Jesus might become more. I find courage in Barnabas' example of trust. His security is not in his wealth, it's in God. 
And we've already talked about how this frees Barnabas to give up his wealth in service of God's mission. But this must prompt each of us to reflect. <coughs> what do we look to to feel secure? Are you depending on your bank account, your job, your shares, your super, your property, or any other sort of object of wealth? Would their loss be damaging to your identity and confidence? Do you fear economic hardship most? Or maybe even a step further, do you simply fear the loss of economic privilege most? If money is the idol you fear most, let Artemis give you courage. Fear God most. And then money can be a benefit rather than a barrier to God's mission. In following Jesus, you can find freedom from the fear-filled control of money. Barnabas is a unifying example to imitate for God's community. And he inspires courage for God's people to continue, even when it costs, to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Now let's meet our contrasting couple. Meet Ananias and Sapphira, the example of corruption. Verse 5. Uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they don't fear God most. Satan has in they have invited, invited Satan in to have a controlling influence over them. And it enslaves them to deceive and lie to meet their own selfish desires. Now, their reputation matters most to them. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they imitate Satan by offering lies. They falsely claim a generosity like Barnabas. And they back this with some action. They sell a property, but instead of giving everything, they give only part, claiming it to be all. Now, let's be clear. The gift is not the issue. The Apostle Peter makes it clear. They were free to voluntarily give or keep what they, what they chose. We see in verse 4, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you contrived this deed in your heart? You have lied not to man, but to God. The issue is the lie. They crave a godly, generous reputation, but they're using lies to fake it. And the result is God's immediate and undeniable when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. God cannot be deceived. And God chooses in this situation to act immediately to remove lies among 
his people. In a recent summer theology series, we were reminded that there is a final judgment. And this passage serves as a warning that God is still God. God's judgment is not confined to that final God, final judgment if God so chooses. God has enacted his judgment earlier at times as a divine act of warning and protection for his people. The Ananias and Sapphira, they would have been so much wiser if they'd just opened up their Old Testament and looked back to the history of Joshua chapter 7. See, Achan likewise took what had been devoted to God and lied. See in verse 11 of Joshua chapter 7. God exposed Achan's deception to the people of God and judgment was enacted. This should have served as a warning for them to fear God. And even we see that Sapphira wastes the opportunity to come clear affirming that she is the co-conspirator in this deception. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing of what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. She faces the same immediate, undeniable divine judgment. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The young men came in and found her. What a day for those guys. Uh, They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. God cuts off corruption this corrupt example before it can infect and be imitated by the wider church. Imagine if just at this start point, it suddenly became acceptable just to fake it. The death of Ananias and Spira once again reminds God's people of the value, but also the necessity of fearing God. And this should again prompt us to reflect, is there a reputation Do you find yourself tempted to lie, to fake it, to have it, while at the same time secretly holding onto something that, if revealed, would undermine such a reputation? This is the temptation that Ananias and Sapphira caved into, this double-facedness. And if you can identify this in you, confess it to God. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can lie to God. Replace it with, replace what you fear missing out on with a deeper fear of God. This account in Acts 5, it is a shocking war event. It shatters plush, cuddly, Satan-like idols of God that we might have created in our minds. Yes, God is a God of kindness, of mercy. We sung of that this morning, of his love and grace. But God is also a God of purity who protects his mission from corruption. Fear of God is the natural and indeed healthy 
response to this event. We need to gain a bigger picture of God to realize how small what we might hear in God's place really is. Stephen the Snake's a pretty cute dude when you spend some time with him. It's really not that scary. Without fear of God, we create idols to fear in the place of God. And we become enslaved to these idols for what we fear controls us. And may I suggest perhaps by design, for we are designed to live fearing God and so safe under the kind, merciful, loving and gracious control of God. This is a good ordering by God for his creation. The contrast of Barnabas with Ananias and Sapphira is a vivid lesson in the necessity of fearing God. So what do you fear most? I invite you, fear God. Let the fear of God unite us together as God's community on God's mission. Let the fear of God free you from lesser idols of fear. And let the fear of God embolden you with God-backed courage. Let's pray. Almighty God, when we consider who you are, it is right for us to fear you. Unite us together with a right fearful sense of your majesty and might. Let godly fear control our actions to live out our lives free from the controlling fear of lesser idols. Let godly fear embolden us with courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.